gold and silver prices go up, gold and silver in the ground are gonna go up, you know, 10x in my opinion. So uh, I think that's where I get so excited about this because it's kind of like a old school market where not a lot of folks are looking at because it's not technology, it's not sexy. And it's, uh, uh, for me, it's really where the opportunity lies ahead in the following years. All right, Mr. Tavi Costa, welcome to On The Margin. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this. Me too. We lost a good man. Um, <laughs> shout out Teddy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Who unfortunately couldn't make it work for the, uh, the AV stuff. We'll have to do this again in like a little bit. Um, get the three of us back here. But uh, Teddy, we're pouring one out for you here, my friend. <laughs> um, Okay, man. Well, we got a lot of stuff to cover here, uh, but I'd actually love to just kind of get your your thoughts. So we talked a couple of months ago, basically, and and uh, you know, back in January, February of this year, everyone was sort of focused on the the reflation trade, right? And there was a lot of focus on uh, being paid attention to uh, kind of the ten year yield. Uh, ever since then, things have kind of backed up, so the yield has kind of stalled out, uh, kind of topped out at one point seven five. It's back down to one point five percent. Now no one's talking about reflation. Instead, there are kind of these two diverging narratives, right? On the one side, you kind of have the camp of inflation and there's this rampant monetary and fiscal stimulus and you're starting to see a rise in uh, kind of commodity prices like lumber, there's tightening labor markets, et cetera. On the other side of the coin, you're starting to see deflationists, right? And they're saying, look, there's, uh, there's too much debt to GDP, there's this demographics overhang, and you're really starting to see these diverging narratives. So I guess like post-COVID, what do you think kind of about the state of the economy and do you see us kind of moving towards inflation or deflation? Well, I continue to think we're just relocating the issues from uh, the private sector to the public sector. You know, that's, that's still happening in a huge way. In other words, we're seeing households looking better uh, financially speaking, uh, especially the bottom 50%, as I said before, the wealth transfer um, situation, then the, and the government still is incredibly uh, indebted. Uh, and so uh, when I look at this uh, two prevailing narratives that you were referring to, the inflation versus deflation, both have a lot of important arguments uh, to, uh, to consider. Um, I'm more in the inflation camp, and that's it's really because I think the policymakers will overshoot their policies, and therefore uh, we may see a, a beginning of long-term inflationary problems. But I respect a lot of the deflationary uh, aspects of, of what we're seeing, and and for me that's mostly on the valuation uh, side of the of, of markets. Uh, when you look at risky assets, equity markets, uh, you know record levels in terms of valuations across. Uh, you know, median and aggregate calculations uh, from EV to sales, free cash flow, uh, PE ratio, uh, you know, CAPE and, and so forth. When you aggregate all of those, uh, clearly we have uh, valuations we haven't seen before and the reckoning of those certainly is mm. uh, very deflationary. So what, what does, you know, what's the positioning from a market perspective that really fits right in between those two narratives in my opinion, is the, the commodities to equity ratio. It, it continues to be that. Um, I, I, you know, if you're right about deflation, I think equity markets are not uh, supposed to be where they are. And so we're going to see a, a reset of valuations that will create uh, upper pressure in this ratio where commodities to equity ratio will actually rise, but mostly driven by uh, the denominator where uh, will be falling significantly, you know, similar to what we saw in the tech bust or, or in the tech or in the, in the global financial crisis. The other side of the coin here is is the commodities trade, which some folks are calling it the peak of a bubble. I don't know what chart they're, they're looking at, but uh, the chart that I look at going back 30, 40, 50 years, I see commodities still you know near all time lows. And so um, I like the optionality of a lot of the Precious metals, especially monetary metals, giving you know we can get into the three pillars of inflation that, that we have today, and why I believe that we're going to enter uh, long-term inflationary problems. Uh, but I think monetary metals is is even uh, more of a, of a reason for you to be allocated towards that relative to other cyclical commodities such as copper and and other things. I mean, at the beginning of the year, I was very bullish in, in oil, not so much in copper, even though copper moved quite a lot. Um, you no, know, right now I think I think silver is 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 now the most asymmetric uh, trade compared to that, and uh, I still think silver is a, is a steal. You know, below thirty dollars an ounce, and gold is headed much higher. Again, it can work in an inflationary and deflationary environment, which is it, which is the nice uh, thing about it. But uh, 
you know, it's it's important to point out, uh, you know, a lot of moves that are happening today, in my opinion, that are kind of under the surface. We can talk about that later as well. Yeah, for sure. I'd actually love to get into that. What are the kind of the three pillars of inflation in your mind, or what what are the central tenets? Um, I would say, well, let's you know start with the demand side. You know, it's 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 what we learn in in, in economics, uh, but uh, you know, just the demand, the the, the plus, uh, the the you know the sort of the supply issues that we're seeing, and also the the monetary dilution would be the three. But the first one being the demand started really with personal savings shooting up to six point five trillion dollars back in April or so of 2020 uh, unleashed somewhere close to 3.6 trillion dollars of consumer spending which is about 7.5 times what we saw historically on an annual basis and so that gives you a perspective why am i talking about this is because we're shot up to six trillion dollars last month again and i think we're going to unleash somewhere close to 4.5 trillion dollars of consumer spending given the reopening of the economy right now so that's a, a significant part of that and the second part of it is what I talked before, which is the wealth transfer. When you look at the bottom 50%, the net worth of those folks, you know, back in global financial crisis, declined about 84%. We're seeing an increase like we've never seen before, over 20% increase year over year, which is the largest increase in history. You can see that in other parts of the society. Uh, we're also seeing an improvement in the balance sheets of those folks in a way that we haven't seen before. Um, and then, and then it comes down to the the other part, which is the cost push, which breaks down into two parts really: the supply issues that uh, we were talking before, uh, using the roadmap of 1919 Spanish flu, which is so accurate when you look back. Um, and uh, and so what we're seeing now was was a reacceleration of consumer prices back in the 1919 times, uh, really because of the, the 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 supply constraints that we had, not so much because of the the aggregate demand that was growing uh, very similar right now but everyone's talking about this now and but the second part of this is the labor shortage and I think we're entering a, a moment where the last 30 years that we had uh, wages and salaries falling especially I would say at least the growth wasn't uh, wasn't wasn't in an upper trend was in a downward trend and I think that's about a change uh, that also happened in 1919 where one out of five uh, folks in the US in the labor market of the US was actually engaged uh, in uh, in a strike in a labor strike and so um, yeah. I think I think this is uh, sort of uh, what's what's going to happen we see McDonald's and, and Chipotle already raising uh, wages and uh, you know as as the life the cost of living uh, increases here uh, given consumer prices uh, also uh, rising I believe strongly that we're gonna see a pressure from workers to uh, to uh, or demanding higher wages and salaries and the third one finally is monetary dilution, which a lot of folks are looking at uh, the Federal Reserve's uh, actions and policies and trying to really put into a framework of the dual mandate, uh, especially the, you know, obviously the, uh, the, the full employment situation and the stability on the inflation side, when really all that matters is the suppression of interest rates that creates a supercharged environment for tangible assets. And so for me, uh, you know, those three, those three pillars uh, really running at all cylinders right now is is what comes down to the you know the high probability of entering long-term inflationary issues which in my opinion will change the landscape of investing as we saw in the 70s and the 1910s as well mm. do you ever consider the possibility of like how do you weigh the kind of probabilities in your mind of a stagflationary versus an inflationary environment because when i kind of look at the environment that we have right now and the reason we have all this currency dilution, currency debasement, et cetera, is it, it's arguably because we haven't been in the growth environment that we've wanted to be in uh, for a long period of time. And to compensate for that, you've had kind of rampant central bank, you know, money printing, borrowing, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's been kind of currency debasement. So do you think, how do you, how do you kind of weigh those possibilities of maybe we're going into an environment where central banks continue to print, dilute the money supply, et cetera, but we don't see growth in that stagflationary versus what I kind of consider like a growth, but also uh, like inflationary sort of environment. Well, I think you got to look at, again, the optionality of assets that can perform in both environments and look back in history in places where uh, we have very different scenarios. I would say the classic example of an inflation, inflationary uh, uh, setup would be the 70s in the US or the 1910s, where commodities did really well, equities not so much, equities are actually... Uh, in nominal terms, barely a return over 1% when you consider inflationary forces at those two decades, the 10s and the 70s, uh, it was, you know, 
it was very negative in terms of real returns. And so, um, you know, that's, you know, we had, when you look at the, the quant factors that really helped us to select uh, uh, securities over the last uh, decade or so, I would say most of the most successful ones were very focused on top line growth. And um, I don't think you know, those those factors are also cyclical. So when you're when you're trying to understand the probabilities of entering new scenarios, uh, usually you see those those factors at a times of a positive deflationary environment. I don't think that's where we are. I think that's you know we're we're entering entering a new regime uh, where I think profitability is going to start mattering, and especially cost of capital rises is going to squeeze the margins of a lot of companies. It will make those. Uh, you know the, the profitability become a priority again for investors, and so uh, that's why the leadership of the market structure is changing significantly. And we're seeing, you know, MicroStrategy down 65%. We're seeing Coinbase down 47%. We're seeing, you know, I'm talking about from the peak. We're talking about Arc down 30%, uh, Specs down 20 plus percent, SoftBank. I mean, SoftBank is the most one of the most successful business models of the last decade. Down 30%. We have Chinese mm -hmm. stocks down 20% or so. Uh, Tesla down 30%. Those are all you know, uh, very important uh, leaders of the market. Alibaba down 30 plus percent. And so um, I think that that's, you know, that's all changing while we're seeing natural resource uh, uh, industries doing very well. Uh, that is not to say that's the end of the world or anything like that, but there's, there's an importance to, uh, uh, to, uh, to really emphasize this change in, in, in leadership, which I think is here to stay. So in my opinion, it, in order to assess uh, the probabilities of inflation versus deflation, you have to look at, uh, you know, one, the, the, the market environment, which is, you know, highly uh, somewhat of a speculative environment, even on the crypto assets part, in my opinion. Um, and so, but the second side of it is, is the policymakers are, are doing are really overshooting uh, their goals. And so, uh, you know, we're seeing fiscal policies is still, uh, you know, also uh, at levels we haven't seen throughout history, even now after, you know, economic activity has returned to uh, also levels we haven't seen throughout history. You know, you look at the own Federal Reserve Economic Activity Index, uh, you know, we haven't seen anything like this before. And so I believe strongly that uh, those policies will, in a way, create inflation uh, if they continue to do so, the second option, that's why I say that the Federal Reserve is trapped, is would be uh, would be tapering and, uh, and and removing that from from the markets. And I think the dependency that we have created already in, in record valuations uh, that we see across almost all risky assets outside of commodities, in my opinion, uh, really is um, uh, what concerns me. And so uh, I respect the deflationary thesis. I think that's uh, it's why we have so many hedges in our portfolio, especially uh, uh, shorts in the equity markets uh, and, and why I, I, you know, I, I keep an eye on the leadership and I keep an eye on factors that are changing. Why? Because I think free cash flow growth is going to become uh, you know, a priority again. Uh, margins, mm -hmm. the strong margins are going to become a priority again. Um, and when I look at the miners making as much money as they are and the party hasn't even started with precious metals rising, I, I think that that's, uh, that's why I'm, I'm excited about this whole industry. Yeah. Um, I definitely want to get into kind of precious metals and what you guys are doing at Crescott there. But first, you mentioned this idea of the Fed being trapped. And you have this great, uh, I think it's your, your pinned tweet on your Twitter profile, but this great thought. Can you, can you just kind of explain like what, why it is do you think that the Fed is uh, trapped in the current position that they're in? Well, it comes down to the tsunami of issuances of treasuries that we're seeing. And, and so, you know, a lot of folks looking at their policies and thing, well, look, if you, if you have a brain and you look at the macro data, they shouldn't be doing what they're doing. You know, you can call right. it a policy mistake or whatever. Is it a policy mistake or they don't have an option? I think they don't have an option. Um, so uh, whatever you want to call it, you know, clearly they have to suppress interest rates. Uh, just in the last two months, to give you some uh, some context, uh, you know, we we saw about six hundred billion dollars of issuances of treasuries. We didn't see much of uh, well, no kidding. We saw uh, yields rising uh, in the last uh, months or so, but uh, you know, the Federal Reserve only bought about twenty five percent of that those treasuries, and uh, I'm talking about notes and bonds mostly. Um, why is this is this so important? Because you know, when you compare, you, you, you look at how much issuances we've had of treasuries in 2020, and we saw how much 
the, the, the Federal Reserve and the banks, the U.S. banks actually bought of treasuries. They funded basically 60% of all the uh, stimulus that we saw back in 2020. Um, what, 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 the, the real complex part of it is that 2021, we're going to see even more fiscal stimulus on an aggregate basis. Um, and the issuances should also be uh, uh, drastically higher or at least as high as, 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 as it was in 2020. And the question is, how are they going to taper? And if they're buying already less than what they bought in 2020. And so why we're seeing pressure in nominal rates increasing, uh, it makes a lot of sense. And so uh, in my opinion, uh, you know, it's very difficult. Right now we're seeing inflationary forces picking up. Cost of capital is rising. It's becoming harder for companies to continue to pile on more and more debt. Uh, corporate leverage is at all-time highs. Uh, and so, you know, how does, you know, we all remember what happened in 2020 in March when the crash happened. Mm -hmm. uh, what, what, what was happening with corporate bonds? I mean, corporate bonds are all over the news back then. Liquidity completely dried up and the Federal Reserve had to step up in an illegal or legal way, whatever you want to call it, um, in order to, uh, to, to fix the situation. Uh, and, and say that they were going to start buying corporate bonds now. And so um, I think uh, this, this environment is, is, is created, a, a, you know, the, the speculative uh, uh, setup that we've seen so far, is, it makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, how did they move from here? Did they stop uh, printing money and, and buying treasuries and allow, uh, you know, we, we have a, a normality of, of, of a reset of, of valuations in the equity markets? Because... I don't think the equity markets deserve to be where they are if if we're yeah. not we're, if we're going to remove uh, the purchases we've seen so far in terms of uh, of, uh, of of treasuries of eighty billion dollars a month on top of forty billion in mortgage backed securities. On top of it, uh, you know, mortgage backed securities. Why are they doing that? Why are they buying those forty billion dollars of mortgage backed securities? Well, the bottom fifty percent owns about forty percent of their assets in house or in in real estate, and so. Uh, you know, it's against inequality. In other words, you're going to be increasing inequality issues if you do that, if you remove that from the market, because uh, you're going to basically uh, create an upper pressure in, in mortgage rates, and uh, and that's going to create a problem in the housing market as a whole. And so, um, it's you know, they're trapped. There's no way around this. In my opinion, yeah. they they have to continue to print money, uh, and that's why I have a, a position where I think there's a high probability we're going to see inflation. Number one. Um, you know, where monetary stimulus is is one way to to pay for uh, fiscal stimulus uh, is is the only way that allows the government to be spending what they're spending. And on top of it, we have a twin deficit problem. Uh, it's not only the fiscal side of it, but it's also the current account side of it that is also very negative. And so, mm. uh, you look, it's not the end of the world. I'm not trying to sound like a doom and gloom guy, but um, I do think that we're going to see uh, inflation coming out of this. Um, you know, can we see a reckoning of, of equity markets first? Sure. And if that happens, a position where you have shorts in equity markets and long commodities, you get, you may get hurt on your long side, but you're certainly going to be protected on your downside with equity market shorts. So uh, I like that position quite a lot. And when I look at the commodities to equity ratio at a 50-year low or so, you know, it, for me, that's where you want to be. Yeah, Absolutely. I guess like one thing that's kind of interesting is we we might be setting ourselves up here for almost like a good news is bad news type environment. Like I don't know if you were kind of looking at that you know the jobs report that came out last week which missed expectations, uh, but actually stocks or equities kind of rallied uh, slightly on that news. And you know if you think back to March of 2020 when COVID was all coming out, there was that steep drop, right? The Fed then essentially unloaded this bazooka of monetary stimulus and markets took off and they haven't really looked back ever since that. Um, and what everyone has kind of agreed on uh, is that what, what the economy or what the stock market is trading on right now is basically just interest rates. So there almost might be this weird counterintuitive feedback loop where when the economy, the real economy is picking back up, you, like the expectation of growth comes back, yields kind of rise commensurate to that. Uh, everyone starts saying, well, that uh, that stimulus that the entire market was trading on is actually probably going to go away. So equities kind of revert. Do you think we're kind of in that environment? Is that like correct? I don't know. What do you think about that whole framework? No, I think I think it's I would just frame it a little bit differently. But I think you're right. Uh, I think we've had a disconnect in 2020 where uh, the markets were especially financial markets as a whole uh, were rising significantly at a time when. Uh, you know, it almost seemed seemed like we're in one of the deepest recessions in history. 
Um, mm-hmm. And so I think we're seeing the opposite of that now. Um, you know, as, you know, I don't like to say I was calling for this, but it's, it's something I, I suspected was going to happen was a disconnect on the other way around, which was uh, the economy goes back to normal in a way. Uh, at the same time, we have financial markets not uh, you know, returning or, or seeing the same level of growth that we saw in 2020. But, uh, you know, certainly we saw that there's a lot of signs of speculation in the equity markets as a whole. Uh, and why I think that we're, we're probably, uh, you know, we could potentially be reaching a peak here. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't look like the tech bubble. The tech bubble, when the tech stocks really started to falter, uh, the market began to falter as well. It looks like a little bit more of the housing bubble set up as a market, not as a speculation. I would say speculation sounds like more of the tech bubble where housing stocks in general, especially home builders, began to really peak in late 20, 2006 and beginning of 2007, uh, way before the equity markets really fall apart. Um, and so it's kind of what we're seeing right now. You know, I, I, I gave you a list of stocks that are or, or indices that are uh, having issues uh, recently. And I, I think that will continue. We call this the great rotation from high multiple names to uh, really uh, value names. And I think the natural resources play a huge role in that uh, part of the market. So, um, yeah, I do think that there's uh, improvements in the economy. And, but mostly, like I said, it's, it's not that the economy is improving organically. It really is a relocation of the imbalances out of the private sector from households, especially. Not so much from corporations. Corporations are still highly leveraged, as I said before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's another issue from, from the Fed trapped uh, argument it's you know we've had you know if you look at corporations uh, in terms of their balance sheets are worsening uh, to levels we really haven't seen throughout history in terms of total debt to total assets and, and you compare that with yields for the corporate bond yields also near record lows uh, and those two lines when you look at a chart of that uh, they used to follow each other very closely uh, and right now we have this you know this disparity of the two uh, which was caused by by the easy money policies um, so you know, this is really the first time we're seeing corporate bond markets and also the equity markets at record valuations. Not even in the tech bubble we saw this. The corporate bond market wasn't as overvalued as it is right now. It's difficult to find anything that yields more than inflation. And so um, it's, you know, it's, it's created an environment for tangible assets, certainly, and why we saw Bitcoin taking off the beginning of the year. What you got to be careful is when things become consensus. And I think that that's what was the case here with Bitcoin. Um, and so, uh, can commodities become consensus trade? Probably, you know, a lot of the, the kind of cyclical ones, the coppers of the world and oil could certainly become a consensus trade too, uh, and create more of a higher probabilities change over time as well. And if we see that there's a higher probability of a more of a deflationary bust rather than an inflationary one in the short term. So, um, I'm always focused on those. And, uh, right now I, I, I do think that there's, you know, there has never been such a case, a, a perfect macro case for uh, for precious metals and why, you know, a majority of my time is being spent on that part of the market. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I want to I want to get into uh, kind of precious metals. But before we do, I just want to make sure I'm presenting like the devil's advocate uh, deflationary case. Uh, so I'll, I'll just kind of say that and then uh, you, you tell me what you think, because on the one hand, you could kind of I, it, sometimes I almost think about looking back 10 years from now, what is this going to look like? And on so many levels, all of that stuff that you just said was super compelling, right? Be like, look, guys, at the end of the day, when you print trillions and trillions of dollars, right, and you even move from the monetary side to the fiscal spending side, there's rampant money creation. Of course, there was going to be inflation. On the other hand, right now, I think some powerful counter arguments is that, number one, you still have debt to GDP at all-time record levels, right, which is really deflationary. If you kind of take the Lacey Hunt side of the argument, it's like, 30%, 30%, right, 30 cents on every dollar uh, that's essentially earned in a form of GDP is going to paying down that debt, which is really deflationary. Uh, you also kind of look at demographics, right? The demographics of the US look okay, but if you go over to Asia, the Asian demographics that does not look great at all, very, very deflationary sort of setup there. And if you think about the setup of globalization over the course of the last you know, 50 or so years, we've essentially subsumed a lot of that population into our own working population, so that really impacts us. And then lastly, actually a rising you know, commodity prices, that's almost deflationary in a way as well, right? Because stuff tends starts to cost more, cost more money. And that actually tends, ends up being kind of deflationary to growth. So I guess all of those arguments, what would you say to, have, have you thought about those? Like, what, what do you kind of think about that kind of uh, counterpoint to the inflation narrative? 
Well, you know, the, the valuation aspect is, um, I don't only think about it, but I'm positioned towards it too. But um, I would say the money velocity is probably the biggest argument of all. And, you know, Lacey Hunt and some others have been leading the pack in terms of that. And I would say, uh, you know, to them, I look at a chart of money, uh, money velocity or um, all the way back to the 1900s. And what I see there is that we really, there was a bottom in 1947 or so. Um, and there was also, you know, which was exactly where it is right now. We are at the lowest level since the 1946 or so. Um, and so uh, I think that there's a chance, there's an argument to be made that we might be bottoming in terms of that as well. Um, one of the reasons why money velocity really bottoms in a way is, is because of this, uh, is, you know, inflationary forces creates an issue where uh, you're not able to really continue to grow money, uh, money supply at the same level. And therefore, that ratio, uh, it starts to rise significantly. So uh, there is a chance for that. But, you know, the, the whole reason why I like gold is, is because um, you have this argument where this optionality of working in an inflationary and deflationary environment is so important. And the biggest case for the deflationary environment that you're referring to would be Japan. Uh, you know, they're, they're, right. the BOJ assets is about you know, 130% of GDP today. BOJ assets relative to the overall market cap of Japan is about 100%. You know, it, maybe there's a case where we're heading towards that direction. We didn't see inflation. Inflation in Japan right now is negative yet uh, still. And, uh, uh, you know, current account is still positive relative to GDP in Japan. Uh, and when you look at gold relative to the Japanese yen, I remember the days when Japanese yen was a safe haven, uh, and now we're seeing this divergence between gold and, and the Japanese yen, uh, which I, I find it very interesting. Also, I'll suggest another another idea. Look at the performance of gold relative to uh, Japanese stocks, um, and you see clearly yeah, that, right. that gold has yeah. performed much better than that. Uh, I think gold is such a kind of a slow mover uh, asset, but it creates so many other opportunities that it, as it triggers value in, in other chains such as silver and, and the miners and so forth. And that's why I like to be focusing more on, on the performance of assets uh, rather than, uh, than the probabilities of, of, of inflation versus deflation, even though that's incredibly important. Uh, and I have a view on it. I, I do think it's more of an inflationary environment than a deflationary environment. Look, I think I think Lacey Hunt is is correct. There is so much debt in the world that is in in a way uh, hurts consumption. Uh, but when you're removing this from uh, the household side and putting on the government side, where uh, you do have unlimited power to print money and start monetizing that debt, which is basically what the Federal Reserve is doing. Okay, you can go down to the complexity of it and say, well, it's not necessarily it's not you know exactly what uh, monetary. Uh, 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 monetization of that looks like, uh, but it's very close to it. <laughs> it's basically the same thing. Uh, they're not buying directly uh, from, uh, uh, you know, the Federal Reserve is not buying directly from those auctions, but uh, it's buying from, it's, it's getting from the banks. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's creating the same environment where you're suppressing interest rates uh, and, and the Federal Reserve needs to own those because uh, uh, the ownership of, of foreign investors in terms of treasuries have been declining for a long time. Um, and uh, it's hard to see them funding the government here uh, going forward. And so um, in my belief is that uh, the Federal Reserve will continue to be the buyer of less resort of those treasuries. And, uh, and so that suppression of interest rates at a time when investors continue to buy tangible assets and hoarding anything other than cash uh, will create uh, you know, a reacceleration of consumer prices, higher uh, costs of living, uh, pressure on, on wages and salaries. Um, and that's that's what really creates inflation. And so yeah. we really haven't seen this in the last 30 years. So it's easy to make the other argument and easy to dismiss a lot of the issues we're seeing. This is not the global financial crisis or the post times of, you know, uh, uh, of, of the, that period, you know, 19, uh, 20, 2010s and 2011. This is very different. You know, we're not seeing the same. You know, we're coming out of, of not only a pandemic problem, but 10 plus years of underinvestments in 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 uh in the commodity space and so when i hear all this temporary issues or uh you know that's all going to be transitory i think i think there's a lot of lack of understanding of how the commodity markets really work i mean we're seeing you know record low capex for a lot of different commodities from the oil side to the precious metal side to the copper side you know that we haven't seen in the past i mean this is uh uh you know a period of under investments that are really going to 
create a, a huge problem, in my opinion, uh, going forward in terms of supply. And so um, I think that's that's where uh, you know should be the focus. Uh, but but certainly, yeah, there's a, there's quite a lot of arguments, and it will always be the case. They're always going to be the second side of the the argument for for inflation, which is uh, the, the the record amount of debt and the money velocity. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's get into it with the precious metals. I, I would love it. I mean, you guys are doing so much interesting stuff with this at, at Crescott, but I uh, I would actually love if you could even just say, look, the three that I kind of want to focus on here are uh, silver, gold, and, and copper. I'm not sure if copper actually kind of falls in that category, but there's a lot of focus on it right now. So can you almost just describe, like, what is the investment case? Like, why does someone buy gold versus silver versus copper? Like, what are the difference between those three? Uh, precious metals slash commodities? Well, I think, look, it all started for us in 2019 when we were looking at the yield curve inversion problem in, in the markets and we saw our empirical research was showing that clearly gold and silver uh, performs better than, or at least gold performs better than equity markets uh, for the last, for the next uh, few years. Um, you know, and then we saw the pandemic problems, that ratio shot up, uh, you know, significantly, but it wasn't really created by gold actually appreciating. And then the post moment uh, was really uh, where gold started to really rise uh, right after that March lows, uh, those March lows where the miners were really leading the way. Um, and uh, in my opinion, is 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 really uh, you know obviously negative interest rates in terms of uh, real rates is is one of the main factors for that. Uh, but there's a lot of issues. You know, on the supply side, on the demand side, I would say the level of imbalances on the macro side is is really what drives uh, the demand for gold. Uh, but I think very few folks are, are really uh, looking at the supply side of the of the issue. And the supply side of the issue is arguably even worse. Um, I'll give you a few examples. I mean, just looking at the, the depletion of reserves of the majors in the precious metal space, um, you know, right now we're seeing a steep decline there. Uh, and so those those majors are, or producers are going to have to uh, be really uh, buying or exploring in order to uh, to really uh, expand uh, their production line. And so uh, in our view, as we see gold and silver prices rising significantly, uh, we're going to see uh, really an improvement fundamentally of a lot of those uh, larger gold and silver companies. And so they're going to start looking for um, you know new deposits, new discoveries of gold and silver in order to expand those, those production lines. Um, also, we're seeing a capex divergence between aggregate capex of the miners relative to gold prices, for instance. Uh, you know, silver was up 50% in 2020, uh, and you look at capex for silver producers was down about 26% year over year. So, uh, you know, we don't see that throughout history. Usually when gold and silver prices rise, uh, those miners get really optimistic. They tend to spend more, they overshoot, uh, and then we see a, some sort of bubble uh, and therefore everything bursts and, and, and then we have another reset of valuations. That's basically what happens throughout the history of any commodity. Uh, but this time around, we're seeing a reluctance of, of a lot of those miners to spend capital in general. And so, um, you know, we're seeing their improvements in their margins in a way that we haven't seen before. Uh, about 73% of the miners in the top 50 miners in, in Canada and the U.S. exchange are actually profitable on a free cash flow basis, the largest percentage we've seen in history. Um, and so you look at free cash flow in aggregate terms, it almost looks like a tech, a tech stock, you know, in terms of mm -hmm. the last uh, 30 years of prices of... Uh, you know, uh, exponentially growing in terms of uh, free cash flow. We and again, gold and silver prices haven't really started rising just yet, in my opinion. Um, I think we're at the secular bull market for those uh, two. And as an investor, you have a few options. Um, you know, you have you know, if you if you start getting very constructive on gold, you immediately start looking at silver. Um, silver is is the high beta version of gold. Is you know, if you look back in the seventies, is really what led the way. Um, silver is, you know, gold to silver. Silver is undervalued relative to not only gold; it's undervalued relative to equities. Uh, it's undervalued relative to money supply, to the monetary base, um, and so uh, that's a few reasons why I like silver a lot. And it also fits the green agenda. It's not only a monetary asset, but also is an asset that um, that is uh, involved in this in this transition from the old to the new economy. And so we're going to need silver. Uh, to to uh, to really create all the innovations that we we're talking about in terms of electrical vehicles and electrification of the world as a whole as a whole, and so um, I believe that you know when you look at the amount of discoveries of gold and silver in the last uh, three years, we haven't seen any 
major one, uh, new discovery of over 2 million ounces of uh, gold equivalent. Uh, we haven't really seen anything like it. And so uh, that really is the reason why on the supply side, we started focusing more on the discovery and exploration side of the industry because we think that those majors are going to start getting cashed up. They're going to improve fundamentally and they're going to start looking for other parts of the industry. Uh, investors tend to, you know, there's there's quite a lot of ways of investing in this. I mean, you can you can go to the GDX and GDXJ members. They can choose and try to do your best and 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 performing better than the ETF. That's a fine strategy. I know a lot of folks that do that. You can look for the developers uh, in in the industry of the mining, uh, where um, you know you, a lot of financially savvy folks uh, try to navigate that space and they do very well. Um, you now that's another fine strategy. But we rather focus. A partner with a geologist and focus on a, on a part of the industry that no one is actually focused on, which is uh, the, the exploration and discovery. Companies that are actually, you know, 5, 10, 20 million market cap that could be worth a billion dollars uh, if they do have a discovery and they do have gold and silver in the ground in a bull market for gold and silver. So there is a lot of leverage uh, to the prices of, of commodities in general. Uh, but also, um, you know, it's it, they're not priced uh, according to the opportunity. And so by partnering with a geologist, I have the very high probability of making really two uh, aspects of every trade that I put on a portfolio, which is, you know, making more of an activist approach of helping those companies to achieve uh, what we think they could achieve in terms of the discovery process. And the second part is the macro trade, which is if gold and silver prices go up, uh, gold and silver in the ground are going to go up, you know, 10x in my opinion. So um, I think that's where I get so excited about this because it's kind of like a, you know, uh, I guess the old school market where not a lot of folks are, are looking at because it's not technology, it's not sexy. And it's uh, uh, for me, it's really where the opportunity lies ahead in the following years. Yeah. So for me, like when I think about something like gold, uh, especially, I kind of think of it as this protector against governments stealing the time of their citizens, right? Because ultimately, when you look at money, like wealth, what that really is, it's kind of the protection of your time and energy. So when governments print a lot and debase currencies, they're essentially stealing wealth from their citizens. So that's why I think gold um, and silver as a high beta version of gold do so well when there are negative real yields, right? Because that essentially means that you're in this environment of financial oppression. So I totally get, and I'm also excited by kind of the precious metal space. You just, you know, kind of said a whole bunch of different stuff about like where you guys are choosing to focus. Like, let's just say I'm an investor and I'm trying to understand what's the best way that I should be getting exposure. What are the different ways that are available for you to do that kind of in the value chain? And how did you guys decide on this area of exploration? Like, how did you come to the idea that that was the best kind of risk reward for, for Crescott? Well, it all started from a macro level again, where we think we are at a, a secular bull market for gold and silver, you don't want to be messing with, you know, very illiquid um, assets um, or more illiquid assets uh, in, uh, you know, at the peak of a bubble or anything like that. I don't think that's the case here with uh, especially silver names. That's why we feel so so comfortable uh, building a whole business and shifting our focus towards, um, you know, those those uh, small cap. Uh, kind of uh, names really they're not even small they're really more than micro cap I mean it, it's a you now we're talking you know less than 50 million market cap I mean it's nowhere close to uh, what we we tend to see uh, uh, folks talking about in the markets out there um, look you know I think there's you know like I said it's a fine strategy if you want to uh, buy the if you divide up the, the the mining industry you know you can buy the royalties that's the safest part of the the bucket. Uh, the second one is the more consistent, you know, free cash flow uh, generation businesses. The you know the the, the gold and silver miners, such as the uh, the I would say Barracks of the world, the Newmonts of the world, the Kirklands of the world. Those are the ones that fit in that category. You can create you know a lot of uh, different uh, value uh, factors to uh, pick and choose which one you think it's uh, it's going to perform better. Um, you know, the second part of this is developers. The developers. Uh, you know, are those uh, really trying to create a mine? Uh, they don't have free cash flow most times yet. Uh, and so you can kind of have an idea of how uh, they will perform in the following years if, if, if you think that, that what the project that they're creating uh, will, will be in place in the following years too. Uh, and so a lot of folks uh, are capable of, of making those 
uh, assertions and in, uh, in, in, in navigating that part of the market. In my opinion, where it really lies ahead, I mean, if, if, I, if I look at the whole market and I think we're in the second or bull market for gold and silver, and I think silver uh, is supposed to be at, a, you know, at least at all-time highs right now, and, and it's, it's significantly lower than that. It's about even close to 40% from its, uh, from its uh, highest price in history. Um, I think that it's, uh, there's, a, there's a, an argument to be made where you want to be take, going up in the risk curve, um, and, and looking for the most levered way of, of, of playing this environment without taking any debt. And so uh, that's what I like about this. You know, I go back in, in, in exploration space and I don't find, I think there's a, there's a niche uh, to be created here. There's a, uh, you know, uh, uh, or, or focus is, is, I don't think there's anything that can be matched uh, in terms of, uh, of a strategy. Um, I don't think there's any, you know, there is no, no other money manager doing what we're doing. And so that's why we thought that this would uh, create a lot of value. We want to be the new companies uh, or be involved with the companies that are the new discoveries of the following five and 10 years. Um, and, and look, I mean, there's so many issues in, in the space. I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to find good CEOs. It's hard to find quality companies. It's hard to find uh, assets that are uh, in safe jurisdictions. And, and it's, uh, you know, you talk to the majors, they're not even, you know, I remember talking to them six months ago, I think I said this before, but uh, no, none of them have any, had any interest in looking at copper assets, for instance, and I was like, why not? You know, this is, uh, you know, this is a, a kind of an interesting uh, setup for copper. Why are you guys not, you know, looking at buying copper assets at such cheap levels? And now, after copper prices reached, you know, uh, you know, the levels that we're seeing recently, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of those gold miners uh, begin to to buy a lot of those assets. They're always late to the party. And, um, you know, my question to them recently was, well, are you guys looking into, you know, we have a this new discovery, you know, perhaps you guys could get involved and start really expanding your production line. You know, this is uh, already a discovery. We do have gold and silver in the ground in this property. Um, you know, is there any interest where you guys want to get involved with a small stake or anything like that? And the answer is no. And so uh, we're so, uh, you know, at the beginning of the kind of early innings of this of this uh, precious metals uh, bull market, in my opinion, where, you know, there's no acquisitions being made. Uh, and so everything is, is, is really, you know, capital is, is pretty, uh, uh, you know, it's not as dry as it used to be maybe three, four years ago, but it's still difficult to raise money for a lot of those businesses. And so um, you have to be, you know, our goal is to find the very high quality projects where they can actually do well in a bear market for precious metals. And that's the way I see risk management in space where, um, you know, we've had a few, uh, you know, Quentin Haney has been involved in a lot of companies that did very well, regardless of how gold and silver prices were doing. Why? Because uh, the biggest mistake we see in the space is, is folks buying large low grade deposits because they're highly levered to uh, to gold and silver prices. If gold and silver prices grow exponentially from here, uh, those deposits become uh, start to become profitable and worth something. And so that's why those those assets tend to move up more in prices. But we like the high grade, the more lucrative, the more, uh, you know, the, the economically viable projects that we can actually uh, make money on uh, silver prices at this price or even 50% lower. And so, um, you know, we think that there's a lot of value to be uh, to be uh, uh, generated in space, and uh, and therefore why we like to be at the exploration and, and discovery. It's it's kind of like going up on the risk curve, and you know, uh, really trying to uh, maximize for gains on on uh, implementing an idea that we feel strongly about. Yeah, you got it. So I, I I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of kind of the investment case for gold, silver. Talk to me a little bit about copper. How does that differ? Like maybe if you could touch on its kind of industrial use cases, like why would someone buy a copper producing asset, investing copper as a commodity, as opposed to something like gold and silver? Well, look, the only reason why gold and silver are not as industrial as copper, even though silver is, is very, has a lot of industrial aspects to it, is because of prices. I mean, if, you know, if gold prices were cheaper, it would be an industrial mm. uh, metal, there's no doubt, uh, much more than copper. But, uh, you know, there is, uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's also, you know, if you look at gold and silver and copper, a lot of times, um, you know, it, it's hard to find a primary, you know, uh, or either copper or especially silver mine. Uh, you know, it's very difficult. So usually you end up finding uh, other commodities along with it. And so uh, we're seeing a lack of exploration budgets across the entire commodity space. 
uh, for some time now in a way that we haven't seen in the past. I mean, just look at the labor market for mining. Um, it's it's difficult to find high quality labor. Uh, you know, there's no drillers. You know, how do you drill? How do you how do you, there are no drillers available? There, the labs are all backed up. You know, labs are not don't have the infrastructure. When you drill, you take it to a lab to see what you found. There are you know, the labs are all backed up, and so there's no enough infrastructure in the world today uh, to take on new uh, a lot more uh, new discoveries in in, in in the space. And so uh, copper, the case for copper really is. Uh, a lot has to do with uh, with a lot of people. You know, it's kind of a conventional thought. It's, I hate to talk about that because it's more of a conventional thought, but it's it has to do a lot with the electrification in the world and the green agenda. You know, mm. we got uh, you know the, the perfect political environment for that right now. But it's it's funny that uh, not a lot of focus uh, on 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 how do we how do we, how are we going to get from 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 the old economy to the new economy with especially with uh, uh, you know the, the scarcity of, of copper deposits worldwide um, you know tin tin is another base metal that it's uh, uh, you know there's so many other base metals that should be uh, uh, you know uh, should be uh, the, the focus here to be looking forward if we're gonna go uh, really uh, full green agenda in the, in the next uh, 10, 10 years or so which seems like that's going to be a good excuse uh, for uh, or a good reason whatever you want to say. Uh, for for the continuation of large fiscal policies going forward, um, and so um, I think that the, the the case for copper is more cyclical. It's more tied to the economy. It's more tied to the uh, to where the business cycle really is, uh, which I don't feel very strongly about uh, in terms of that. I don't like the demand side of, of of copper. Copper is not so much linked to the imbalances in the macro world, uh, which gold and silver mostly are, especially gold, uh, and so. Um, I, I no, I'm not as bullish on, on copper, even though we buy uh, good projects. I mean, there's a lack of, as I said before, of discoveries of, of copper too. And so, if we find something that is high grade and, and economically viable, we get involved. Um, you know, and, and so uh, they're not priced uh, accordingly either, uh, which is is the most interesting part about it. Uh, there's a lot of copper exploration names that are actually down uh, year to date, uh, while copper prices are doing what they're doing. So um, it's. Uh, you know, I think, uh, in my opinion, um, as folks begin to realize this opportunity in, in, in buying land in general, uh, they have a high uh, probability of finding gold, silver, uh, copper, and some other uh, commodities in the ground, uh, will become more of a, of a conventional trade in the future. Um, it's still, you know, very out of consensus right now. Um, and so that's why we like to be involved with this. When I go to a party and I hear people saying that they're buying properties to find gold and silver or copper, I'll, I'll be cautious. That's not what I heard. Every time I go to a party, they ask me if I'm a crypto trader. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you know, with, with all the respect, I mean, I, I think crypto is here to stay as well. But it's, it's, it's important to be aware of sentiment, in my opinion. And, and totally. uh, I don't think that we are there yet in terms of... Uh, of the sentiment for commodities. And so uh, I think this is just the beginning of a super cycle. Uh, can we have a drawdown of 20, 30% and then get back to a uh, new high? Yeah, we, we could certainly see that. But I think the overall trend of, of the next five to 10 years is that commodities are gonna do better uh, than, than, than other markets. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I can actually corroborate that. No one has ever asked me at a party either. Uh, if I'm buying commodities, <laughs> you get asked about Bitcoin all yeah. the time, man, all the time. Um, okay, so I guess, um, you know, like, just your thoughts on crypto for a second, because it's, it's. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd be curious, because like, for me, I I kind of look at, like, we had, I had Grant Williams on this podcast a little while ago, who I have a tremendous amount of respect for. I know you, you were just recently on his podcast as well. The way that I hear Grant talk about gold and the way that I hear Bitcoiners talk about gold or Bitcoiners talk about Bitcoin, even though it's different and I know they've got the laser eyes and it's like really, frankly, uh, annoying to, to watch on Twitter and all that kind of stuff. But the sentiment really seems to be the same. And there's almost this thing where it's like, look, they're seeing the same world, right? They're seeing the same problem, but the solution set is just different. And when you really think about gold and Bitcoin, I get it. There's this technological function to, to Bitcoin. There's this beautiful scarcity element to gold. But really, there's something kind of just arbitrary, right? It's solving this problem of negative real yields, financial oppression. And there's almost something arbitrary about we're just going to all pick this to buy uh, as a protector for our time and energy when the governments are trying to steal time from us. So when you think about these two futures of like 
let's say gold and silver versus Bitcoin as a store of value. I mean, how do you kind of weigh those things out in your mind over the long term? Look, in 2019, we wrote a letter, and I still stand by it, which we said, you know, we we wanted to take a position on Bitcoin, and we sold it way too early. Um, and our idea was, you know, this is sort of a call option on inflation. Uh, we get the the the, uh, the technological advancement uh, aspect of it, uh, but we really thought that, you know, this was, uh, if we're going to see inflation and folks are going to start looking for, um, you know, assets that have, uh, you know, uh, supply constraints, Bitcoin would be in the space. Uh, it would fall perfectly with the kind of a tech world. Um, and and uh, though personally, I do think there's a, you know, a larger participation of those, those uh, types of investors in that space that understand much better uh, the technology than, than, than others. Uh, I think that there's, you know, what, you know, I, I agree with you. I think if you walk on the streets and you ask folks, I think most will agree that, you know, there is a, uh, a lot of issues uh, in regards to government policies and monetary dilution and so forth, so forth. And I think there's a uh, inflation is becoming more of a prevalent narrative among um, you know the average Joe. And so um, I just believe that also at a time when you have all the macro drivers to die for for gold and silver, people are asking the wrong questions. They're asking, is Bitcoin going to replace gold? When that shouldn't be the question. You know that's. Uh, uh, you know, gold and silver are commodities. They're actually real tangible assets that are used for for uh, different purposes than Bitcoin. And so I just I just find that type of, of question really wrong. Uh, and, uh, you know, it gives me a kind of a sense of the sentiment. You now, how many times am I speaking with prospects that want to invest with Crescat? And that's the, their 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 primary question is that. And so. Um, you know, how are you guys seeing the crypto world, you know, stealing the way? No, it may do that for, 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 you know, for some time. And we may see a lot of uh, outflows from the commodity space to into the crypto space. But in order to develop the crypto space, you need commodities too. And so um, I think it's a much better case to look at the overall equity market uh, and see that as a higher risk than the commodity space, especially with mm. gold and silver. Um, so... I think there's a lot of wrong questions being uh, being asked uh, in terms of that uh, and, and the, the differences between the two. You can kind of see uh, when you are in a bubble environment and sometimes bubbles can last for a long time. I mean, I thought uh, Bitcoin looked bubbly even when, when it reached the, the 30,000. You know, I, I had Bitcoin myself until the 25,000 or so and then I sold it um, and then we went up to 60. Uh, so, I, you know, who am I to talk about Bitcoin? But... Um, you know, I, I just could tell that we were in a, in, you know, I, I had folks that I know, uh, friends and so forth asking me, um, you know, you know, what do I think about Bitcoin? That's not, you know, that's not an environment where we are that is an uncrowded trade where you make a lot of money. Uh, that is a crowded trade, consensus trade that a lot of uh, uh, people agree with. And, uh, and so you got to be careful with that when that's your core investment. Uh, again, if that becomes the case with gold and silver, I will certainly uh, um, have to uh, to look for alternatives of uh, other core investments for Crescent, but that's not the case right now. Uh, right. I think in July we kind of saw some of that, and then we saw a consolidation since then, where gold and silver technically look really attractive. I mean, it's been you know kind of a recharging mode in, in a recharging mode for for some time now. Now I think we're just looking for a trigger uh, to go significantly higher, um, and so. Um, Look, I you know I, I don't like to compare gold and Bitcoin. I think Bitcoin right now, uh, you know you know you asked me if I went to the Miami uh, conference and no, but I did watch a lot of videos and that does not look like the mid '90s. It looks like the late '90s to me. Um, you know it's you know it's like the end of a party, not the beginning of one. Uh, you don't see those types of, of behavior at the beginning of of, uh, of 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 a speculative bubble. You know you see it at the end of one, and so. I think I think uh, you know I, but I don't want to you know I, I want to welcome the, the the crypto investors in the space because I think like you said before I think we have very similar mindset we we both agree the that there's a problem with uh, you know with the monetary dilution uh, and and the corrupt governments and fiat currencies are in the race to the bottom you know there's all agreements in terms of that I mean we you know I think uh, uh, I think we all seen the same issues but. Uh, how do we how do we play this going forward? And, you know, I think Bitcoin was an alternative. Uh, maybe 
you know, uh, a, a few months ago. I know some folks are looking at this and buying dip. That's fine. That's a fine strategy. But uh, I do think the sentiment still after Bitcoin is down so much is, is hasn't really changed. I mean, sentiment is yeah. still very, how many laser eyes you're seeing out there, as you said, um, yeah. you know, we should have an indicator of laser eyes, uh, you know, how many laser eyes on Twitter would be a great indicator um, um, to, uh, to look at as, as part of this. But uh, I, look, I, I'm a little concerned, you know, I, I think, I think this, uh, this could unravel uh, much uh, and have ramifications that are going to be very important for equity markets. It surprises me that we're seeing this sell-off in crypto. At the same time, look, I'm looking at right now my screen, crypto down 9%, S&P is down 20 bips. We're basically at all-time highs. The S&P has done nothing in the last two months. You know, since April 16 or so, S&P is, is basically up 1% or 2%. So yeah. um, it scares me a little bit to see that divergence uh, because as I pointed out before, uh, I think there's a lot of frothiness in the market in general. Uh, that could uh, that could unravel uh, something a little worse uh, in terms of reset of valuations for the overall equity market. So I'm very concerned about overall equity market. I like to watch the crypto assets that are here to stay. A lot of issues are you know we're probably going to see yeah. a lot of issues. A lot of companies going bankrupt, um, but no, there's going to be a lot of winners too. And uh, uh, I'm not spending a lot of energy in that because it's a crowded space right now. And I I much rather be focused on something that no one is is talking about, which is exploration and and discoveries of, of gold and silver. Totally. And by the way, like, uh, first of all, I'm uh, part of the reason I was so excited to talk to you so I didn't have to uh, pay attention to what's going on with the price of Bitcoin. So thank you for reminding me uh, while we're on this chat here. Oh, I, I don't mean to be, you know, <laughs> I'm, just, I don't... I'm just messing with you. I'm just bad. <laughs> that is a total joke, man. I'm totally messing with you. And look, honestly, here's what I want to say. So I obviously, ha I'm not going to go out here and say I'm not somewhat biased about this space. I'm a big believer in this space. I think it is here to stay. I see a lot of growth potential. Clearly, I left my job to start a media company in crypto. I have a big stake in this industry and I care about it and I wanna see it grow. What I will say watching, because I also didn't go to the Miami conference and watching it from afar, what really worries me, especially when you look at reflexive assets like I think gold is, like I think Bitcoin is, the, the community is, is a really big part of it. And you can look at the meme stocks and say, this is an aberration, yada, yada. I think memes and online messages or whatever, that's the way that, that information is gonna get distributed in the future. What worries me when I look at the Bitcoin community is this is starting to transform into a community that it doesn't look like you wanna root for because this was looking like an underdog thing, really, really cool idea, grassroots movement. And now you look at these people celebrating in like Miami clubs and the Dogecoin thing. You just look at that and you say, this isn't really a future that I wanna root for. And to me, that, that deeply worries me. And I, I guess the last thing where I want to close on, uh, yeah, I'd love to get your thoughts. I know you've already been super generous with your time, but when I kind of look at the world, I worry about a lot of the same th things that you do. I worry about what governments and central banks are doing in terms of diluting currencies. And when you kind of look out at big markets around the world, I think one of the big things that I actually look at is the bond market, which is the largest market in the world. You've seen kind of this very steady decrease in yields, right, over the course of however long you want to zoom back. It's a super, super long trend. Um, and that's essentially caused a bull market in bonds for the last 50 or so years. We've gone further than basically anyone thought we were going to go. We've crossed the zero bound in a whole bunch of different big markets. It's possible that we might cross it in the U.S. At some point, that's going to have to end. And at some point, that's going to cause a rotation out of bonds, right? So when you look at kind of the world in general, big changes in allocation, what what is kind of the future that you see? Do you see like big permanent reallocations and shifts into things like uh, precious metals, gold and silvers, commodities, like a re, almost like a rebirth of like the real economy. What are the big asset, like global asset allocation changes that you see coming over the course of the next 10 years? Well, look, I mean, it, you know, if you look at capital allocators, you know, especially the large ones, I mean, it's, there's certainly a, a lack of, uh, of exposure to, uh, to commodities as a whole. Uh, but I would say, especially to gold and silver, um, you know, they have not, you know, silver is, is barely an allocation for most of those, uh, those, those institutions and this dynamic of, of record valuations across a lot of asset classes, especially relative to inflation expectations, you know, S&P yielding less than inflation expectation, corporate bonds doing the same, treasuries, uh, sovereign bonds all over the world, a lot of negative yielding bonds. And so it creates a, a place where uh, you start looking for things that may appreciate in price rather than yield something. And that's what uh, goes back to, 
you know, the commodity space. Back in the 70s, we were not talking about this new sexy tech company that was going to come along. Um, no, the sector didn't even exist at the time. Uh, but it was, it was, you know, you know, a lot of investors in the news were all about commodities, were about, you know, how corn mm. was doing, how, uh, you know, agricultural commodities in general and, uh, and, and, and copper and, and gold and, and silver. You know, this was really the, uh, a much bigger market relative to the overall market than, than today. I mean, we're, you know, gold is what, a $9 trillion, uh, you know, uh, uh, market cap, you would say, above ground of gold. But, you know, compared that with, with, with equity markets in the U.S. and globally, that's nothing uh, or, or to financial markets as a whole. So, um, you know, and that's why it creates a, a case for Bitcoin, too, obviously, and case for crypto assets. Um, I, I like it all. I, mean, I just, I just think that this dynamic of flows out of very expensive assets to more attractive ones, given this, uh, you know, upward inflationary problem that we may see, there's a high probability with cost mm. of capital rising, will, uh, will drive investors towards uh, not only protection of of, of capital, uh, which is, uh, you know, gold is is a probably one of you know serves the, the, the biggest role in that in terms of not only protection but also uh, you know in terms of uh, lack of volatility volatility relative to other other assets that also serve as a, a monetary uh, alternative I guess um, such as Bitcoin or silver uh, but you know that will drive other assets high if you go see in, you know gold prices in the bull market certainly uh, tends to be a good times for you to be buying silver and other you know platinum and other precious metals that are may benefit from that so um, I think I think uh, we've reached uh, you know an exhaustion point for for risk parity strategies where mostly uh, capital locators have been focused in in, in bonds and, and equities um, and I think you know we're gonna see a big change in capital allocation uh, not only from an asset class perspective but if you look at actual equities I think uh, you know as, as we're seeing a change in leadership uh, I think I think this this rotation from value to growth is here to stay. Uh, you know, we saw a big move of that right coming out of elections, uh, and then you know, and then we kind of things stalled for a minute, and then we we saw it again. Um, I think we'll continue to see that for the next three years or so, and so I'm very focused on on that as well. Um, and so yeah, well, look, I you know, I also I'm I'm with you. I mean, I I I respect people that 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 will change. Uh, you know, their their personal uh, lives in general to uh, uh, to to really uh, see an opportunity like you're you're doing with yourself and and really be invested in a way not only in money capital but time as well uh, to uh, to learn about the industry and, and, and help develop something completely new. Um, I just I just find it uh, uh, difficult to, for me to get involved at a time when I see this this level of frothiness. I mean it's it's. It's difficult to see. I mean, when, when you see somebody telling you to to take on debt to buy an asset, uh, you know, and believe me, the gold the gold community is it could become very frothy too. I mean, the gold bugs they have that. I mean, we, we if you look back in twenty eleven, yeah. they were very you know look back in the peak of twenty eleven. I mean, I was, I was looking at a few money managers that are very popular, still popular today. There were very uh, large investors in the space. And uh, and you and you listen to their their speech. It's not very different from what we're seeing in the crypto space today. And it's you know you got to be careful because you may be right, but you know your asset may not perform. The, the um, you know you may have good reasons to own something, but uh, given the the sentiment and, and being a consensus trade may may create a problem. So um, I, I caution most folks on that. But continue to to build where you're building because it's uh, you know I think this this industry and this community is here to stay. I think it's. Uh, incredible what they they built and and you built in in the last uh in the last years or so and uh and um you know i i think it's uh, uh it's going to create a lot of value as well um i just as a as a macro investor i um i i'm always cautious when 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 my trade becomes uh consensus and i think that's the case with cryptos here yeah i i actually i kind of agree with you and you know it's funny i i actually think in my heart of hearts you know you kind of hear the growth versus value guys and you kind of either have that value mindset or you don't. I think I really do. I joke a lot that my co-founder Jason uh, dragged me into this and this is entirely his fault. Uh, there's definitely a parallel universe where I'm sitting in your seat <laughs> arguing for precious metals, so I completely understand the mindset. Uh, look, man, you've been super, super generous with your time. If people want to find out more about you, Crescott, all the exciting work that you guys are doing, what's the best way to do that? 
uh, or website, crestkit.net is, is one of the easiest ways or, or uh, Twitter. Um, you know, my Twitter handle is at uh, Tavi Costa and uh, we put out a lot of content uh, charts and, and letters. Uh, and also we now do a weekly uh, presentation about uh, some of the mining companies we get involved. So we disclose, we tend to disclose one name every video. Uh, and then we discuss the thesis behind it. And, and I talk a little bit about the macro environment with, along with Kevin, my partner. Uh, and then we pass it on to Quentin to really uh, elaborate on uh, what's the geology reasons for you to own that, that name. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's been a, a very long learning curve, but it's, uh, uh, if, if anybody's interested in, in learning more about this industry, I suggest you to look for uh, on YouTube, just type Crescat and you'll find it all of our videos there. Awesome. All right, Tavi. Well, uh, everyone, I highly recommend you definitely do go check that out. Uh, Tavi, we'll have to do this again uh, sometime soon, hopefully with uh, Teddy uh, in tow next time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. If the audio gods are willing. <laughs> I cool. agree. Yeah. All right, my friend. Take care. Take care, Michael.